have you ever really been looking forward to something, only in retrospect to be so glad that it didn't happen? That happened to Echo and I as we were uh, purchasing a house shortly after we moved here. We were looking at a couple houses in Willow Springs. They were both within our price range, and and uh, they were both within our price range, but there was one that we really liked better than the other. It had just showed better. The, we liked the landscaping more, and we thought, this is the house for us. We could really see ourselves living here. And so we made an offer on it, and... Well, the, the sellers didn't like our offer. We thought they were being unreasonable and expecting more than the house was worth. We thought they weren't giving enough credit for some of the repairs that would need to be done. But they held firm, and we weren't able to come to an agreement. And so we didn't get that house. And we were pretty disappointed. We had really seen ourselves living there. But we thought, well, there was this other house. Let's go take a look at that again. And so we went and looked at it, and we thought, you know this could work, this could work, this would be all right. And so we put in an offer, and that offer was accepted, and so that's the house that we actually are living in now. And I can't tell you how many times over the last 16 months that we've been there that Echo and I have said, thank God we didn't get that first house. We're so glad we didn't get the house we thought we wanted. As we've walked in the neighborhood, we realize that that house has a lot of traffic noise from the highway. Uh, we, uh, right, the house we have now is on a cul-de-sac and it backs up to some undeveloped land. That other house we thought we wanted was just in the middle of the neighborhood, uh, you know, houses all around. We know we ended up with better neighbors because uh, we live right next door to Norman Penny Carlton. And um, I don't know who our other neighbors would have been, but I'm sure there wouldn't have been as good as Norman Penny. So we got, we won there. And, um, we also discovered on our, on our property that there's a couple apple trees, and there's blackberry bushes, and there's grapevines. There's room for a garden if we want to put one in someday, none of which the first house, ha- first house had. And so we're just so glad that God saved us from our good idea of the house that we thought we wanted. We're glad he gave us the house we should have wanted rather than the house we thought we wanted. Now, you've had something like that happen in your life, haven't you? Maybe with a house, maybe with something else. Maybe there was a job that you really wanted, you were excited about, but you didn't get it, and now you're so glad that you didn't. Maybe there was a move that you were looking forward to, you thought, this is really the right thing, and then it didn't happen, and now you look back and say, I'm so glad that didn't happen. Or maybe there's an old boyfriend or girlfriend that you're really glad you didn't end up with, even though at the time you really thought they were the one you're going to spend your life with. Uh, That was actually the example that Garth Brooks used in his 1991 song, Unanswered Prayers. A few of us are old enough to have heard that song, and in the chorus he says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. He says, sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And I think, you know, Garth, you got that one right. That is true. I'm so grateful for all the times that God gives us what we need rather than what we said we wanted. I'm glad when he gives us what we should have wanted, rather than what we thought we wanted. We're going to see an example of that as we come to God's word today. We're going to be looking at Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25. If you have a Bible, you can turn there now. We are continuing in our Advent series called A King is Born. 
And today we're looking at the birth of Jesus, or at least Mary being pregnant, from the perspective of Joseph. So would you stand with me and follow along as I read these verses for us? Hmm. There we go. All right, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Well, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for the revelation you want to bring by your spirit through your word today. And we pray, Lord, that uh, in this time of looking at your word, that you would open the eyes of our heart so that we can see you more clearly. We pray, Lord, that you would open our ears and our minds to hear and understand all that you want to say to us. We pray against any distraction or confusion that would get in the way of that. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to move in this place and quicken our hearts so that we will respond to you in the ways you want us to respond. They would not just be hearers of your word, but doers also. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated. There's a lot in these verses that is not what Joseph thought he wanted. If you would have asked Joseph, uh, what do you imagine that your courtship with Mary is going to be like? What do you imagine it's going to be like to start a family with her? This is not the story that he would have told you. Really, finding out that your wife is pregnant or your betrothed is pregnant and you're not the father, that's pretty much a groom's worst nightmare. I mean, this is the whole, part of the whole point of the one-year betrothal period. It was so that you could build a house to bring your wife into with you, but it was also to make sure that she was not, in fact, pregnant with someone else's child. So this is, this is not what, what Joseph wanted. This is not how he would have written his story. But what ends up happening is far better than he could have imagined. Because God does not give Joseph what he thought he wanted. He gives Joseph what he needed. And he, God gave what we need. He gave Jesus. Verse 18 says, This is the account of the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. Messiah is a title that emphasizes the kingly nature of Jesus. This was highlighted last week in the genealogy as we saw that Jesus is the son of David, the greatest king of, that Israel ever had. And Jesus was the one who fulfilled the promise that God had made to David that his throne would endure forever. The kingly nature of Jesus is emphasized in the following story of the Magi coming to worship Jesus. This is really a part of Jesus' identity that Matthew underlines as he's starting his gospel. Jesus is the king. And in this account of Jesus the king, we see foreshadowed a few aspects of the kingdom that he's going to bring. This, this account of the birth of the king foreshadows the kingdom 
that he's going to bring. And it also foreshadows the reaction that his kingdom would receive. Because just as Joseph was not sure at first that he was hearing good news, we too can sometimes be confused at the kingdom that Jesus brings. Because it's not the kind of kingdom that we would have prescribed for ourselves. It's not the kind of kingdom that maybe we thought we wanted. So isn't it good that God knows better than we do what we need? As we look at these verses, I want to highlight three qualities of this kingdom Jesus brings that are foreshadowed in this account of his birth. And and I want to see how those qualities make it exactly the kind of kingdom we need, even if some ways it's not the kingdom we thought we wanted. We need the kingdom Jesus brings. The first quality of that kingdom we see uh, foreshadowed in this story is that this is a surprising kingdom and a little subversive as well. Now, we, many of us, have heard the account of Jesus' birth very often, and so we may not be surprised by it. But that sentence that, that we read that says, before they came together, she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, that is a surprising sentence. And not just because of the by the Holy Spirit part, although, yeah, that's an unexpected twist, but even that Jesus would be the product of what many would have thought was an illegitimate pregnancy. That's surprising. Now, I know today an unmarried woman becoming pregnant doesn't carry a lot of stigma with it, not like it once did in our society, and certainly not like it did in Mary's day. In that time and place, an unmarried woman becoming pregnant was a big deal. There's a lot of shame that would have been attached to Mary because of that, and by extension would have been attached to Jesus. And this is not the kind of pregnancy you would think would produce a figure like the Messiah. Generally speaking, it really matters that you know with certainty who the father of a future king is. That future king's legitimacy depends in no small part on his pedigree, on it being known and it being the right kind of pedigree. So some might look at this and think, oh, this kind of weakens Jesus' claim that he was the Messiah. But actually what some would see as a disqualification only serves to emphasize the true nature of who Jesus is. Jesus could not have been Emmanuel, God with us, as Matthew says he is in verse 23, if he had had a human father. Jesus could not have been God with us unless he had God for a father. Jesus could not have been the Savior that we need if God had not been his father. So what seemed like a disqualification actually meant he was exactly what and who we needed. I say that that this is surprising and a little subversive because Jesus subverts our expectations and our assumptions about how we think things should be or how they should operate. And certainly when he was born, many people did not expect uh, the, the Messiah to be born under these circumstances. They expected him to be born in more austere surroundings. They did not expect a young unmarried girl of no particular social status to be the mother of the Messiah, yet that's exactly who God chooses to become pregnant and give birth to the King of Kings. And later, Jesus would say and do things that subverted people's expectations and assumptions. He would say things like, in the kingdom of God, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He would say, whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of God must learn to be the servant of all. 
he would say, whoever loses his life for my sake finds it. He said, blessed are the poor and woe to you who are rich. Even the crucifixion was surprising and counterintuitive. This is how Jesus wins? By being executed like a criminal? This is how he accomplishes his mission? By being tortured and then expiring on the cross? This is how he's glorified? By dying this shameful death? And Jesus included surprising people in his ministry. He called fishermen and a tax collector to be his disciples. He hung out with prostitutes and drunkards and tax collectors and sinners. He included unlikely characters in his story. But that's really something that God seems to delight in doing. We see it all through Scripture. God includes unlikely people in his plans. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.27 says, God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of this world to shame the strong. This is how God likes to work. And this quality of the kingdom Jesus brings is off-putting to some. People who approach the kingdom of God from a religious mindset have a hard time with it because that religious mindset is focused on earning God's favor and salvation through effort and good works. And so a kingdom that just lets anybody in, even people that aren't even trying to be good, is, is hard for them to accept. People who come to God's kingdom from a worldly mindset have a hard time with it too. People who come thinking that value is tied to being rich or achieving a certain level of success have a hard time with a kingdom that lets in losers and rejects that says even if you're the last, you could be first. So some may think this isn't the kind of kingdom that they want, but isn't this exactly the kind of kingdom that we need? Some of us have tried the religious approach and we have discovered that we simply do not have in us what it takes to be as good as we are supposed to be to be as good as we would have to be to live up to God's standard of goodness. And some of us have tried the worldly approach. And even if we've achieved a measure of success or a degree of wealth, we've discovered it's never enough to fill the void in our souls. In our honest moments, we recognize our profound insufficiencies. And so it's good news that Jesus brings a kingdom that is for the weak and the foolish and the insufficient. It's good news that this is a kingdom that includes unlikely characters in the story because it means that we could be a part of the story too. It's good news that Jesus brings a kingdom that says it, it's not if you think you're qualified that you get in. It's when you recognize how disqualified you are that you're in exactly the right position to receive what you need. It's good news that Jesus brings this kind of a kingdom, a kingdom that's for everyone, a kingdom that's for you and me. We need the surprising and a little bit subversive kingdom that Jesus brings. Another quality of this kingdom we see in this story is that it's a supernatural kingdom, but it includes the natural. It's supernatural, but it includes the natural. Uh, the story of Jesus' birth is a story of miracles. Uh, Mary becoming pregnant is a pretty profound miracle that... that that in her womb, God divinely, miraculously creates life. That's a pretty profound miracle. And there's miracles all through the story. Luke tells us about how uh, Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, becomes pregnant, even though she had been infertile all her life and was well beyond childbearing age. But she, 
miraculously becomes pregnant. And the story of Jesus' birth is full of supernatural divine revelation. I mean, in the story we're looking at, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and gives him a message from God. Luke talks about how an angel appeared to Zechariah, John the Baptist's father. And, and we see angels appearing to the shepherds on the night Jesus was born, and, and the angels give them that good news. And God puts a sign in the heavens, a star, to lead the Magi to come and worship Jesus. The story of Jesus' birth is full of these kinds of miracles, and these are not miracles that happened in the quiet of someone's heart. These are observable, actual, tangible, supernatural, supernatural miracles that God does. And yet all of this supernatural stuff is mixed with some very natural human elements as well. Mary's pregnancy is a miracle, but her pregnancy is a normal pregnancy, and she gives birth in the normal, messy, painful way. Think, why couldn't God just do like a Star Trek transporter C-section? Just zap baby Jesus into her arms, you know? That's not how God chose to work. God does put that star in the heavens as a sign for the Magi, but the Magi have to travel hundreds of miles to get to Jesus. They even have to stop and ask Herod for directions along the way. God could have just miraculously brought them there, but he didn't do it that way. He let them make that journey. We see this mix of the natural and the supernatural in the ministry of Jesus as well. Jesus healed people, but some of those people had to be brought to him by their friends. People had to sometimes do something to access the healing that Jesus was offering them. People had to exercise faith in order to be healed or to see their loved one healed. Jesus would do miracles, but he also commissioned his disciples to do miracles as well. There's this mix of supernatural and natural in the ministry of Jesus. The kingdom Jesus brings is undeniably supernatural, but, but we get to participate in it. But we have choices to make to be a part of it. There are miracles, but there's our faith and obedience that's required as well. This supernatural aspect of the kingdom Jesus brings uh, throws some people off. This was not the case so much in Jesus' day, but today it's an issue for some people. Certainly people who don't believe in God are going to have a hard time believing in miracles that he does. But honestly, more and more, even people that don't have what we would think of as an active living faith, they still understand that there is a spiritual dimension to life, and they may not even have a hard time believing that supernatural stuff happens, they just don't necessarily give Jesus the credit for it. Surprisingly, the people that I've seen have the hardest time with the supernatural aspect of the kingdom Jesus brings are Christians who have convinced themselves or become convinced that supernatural miracles and divine revelation are something only for the past and not for the present. They believe what they read on the pages of Scripture. They're just really suspicious about anything like that happening today. And I think what might throw them off is this whole idea of supernatural and natural being mixed together in our experience of the kingdom in this day. You know, it, it's tough for them to think that God does miracles but we still are called to persevere through some difficult times. 
it's hard to think that God will heal someone in one situation, but not in another, and we don't understand why all the time it, he works that way. It's hard for them to think that God might, in one season of a person's life, bring a miracle of healing to them, but then later they're going to struggle with a chronic condition that they don't receive healing from. It's hard for some people to think that God chooses fallible people to do miracles, even people that don't have a great character, God still will sometimes anoint to do supernatural work. It's confusing for some people to think that God speaks prophetically, but entrusts that message to fallible messengers who sometimes distort that message in the delivery of it. And so for some folks, I think it just feels safer to say God doesn't do miracles today than to risk believing and possibly being disappointed when he doesn't do the miracle in the way or the timing that they want. It seems easier to just say God only speaks through the Bible than to do the hard work of discerning prophecy, as Paul instructs us to do in 1 Thessalonians 5, 20 and 21. They would just prefer to say there's no supernatural stuff, period, than to embrace the mystery and tension of God doing miracles, but us also having to exercise faith and obedience. So for some people, this kind of kingdom that includes revelation and miracles isn't the kind of kingdom they think they want, but again, isn't this exactly the kind of kingdom that we need? Because don't we come up against situations in our lives that no matter how hard we try, we just can't find a solution to? Don't we encounter problems that are genuinely overwhelming for us to try to solve with our own resources? Don't we run out of insight and wisdom and need God to speak to us? Don't we need the strengthening, encouragement, and comfort that a genuine prophetic word gives? Don't we want to be in relationship with a God who is not just theoretically powerful, but who actually uses that power for our benefit in our lives? Don't we want a God who would intervene, even sending us an angel in a dream if necessary, to keep us from following our misguided good ideas? We need this supernatural kingdom in which we also get to engage and play a part. We need that kind of kingdom. Third aspect of the kingdom we see foreshadowed in this story is that it is spiritual, but it affects all of life. This kingdom is spiritual in nature, but it affects all of life. At the heart of this passage, the angel tells Joseph what this son who Mary is pregnant with will be named. And he says his name is Jesus which means Yahweh saves, because he will save his people from their sins. It's really significant that he added from their sins. There are a lot of problems in our lives that we would like to be delivered from. There's lots of troubles in this world that we could point to and say the world needs to be delivered from these, but all of those problems and troubles have a common source, and that's sin. Sin is the central and biggest thing that we need to be saved from. Uh, The source of all the problems and troubles in the world is sin. It's our sin. It's the sin of others. It's the sin of Adam and Eve. But the, the root of all the troubles in our life and world have this spiritual root. And so it's really good that God gave a spiritual solution, that he provided a Savior who would not just save us, period, but specifically save us from our sins. This is why Jesus, at the beginning of his public ministry, uh, talks about the kingdom of God in spiritual terms. The the essence of the kingdom of God 
is that we can experience God's reign and rule in our lives. It's not a kingdom that has geographical boundaries. It's not a kingdom that issues passports and levies taxes. It is a spiritual reality. And so Jesus says the way you enter this kingdom is to repent and believe. Those are spiritual acts that we do. That takes place in our heart, our mind, our soul. But what we find as we do that, as we repent and believe, as we are forgiven for our sins, as we consciously live under the reign and rule of God, we discover that it affects all of our life. It doesn't stay in our heart, it expands from there. When we're consciously living under God's reign and rule, He's having His way in us. He we doesn't just have His way in our heart, He has our, His way in every part of our life, every part of what makes us, us. And we want to see Him have His way more and more in our lives, and in our families, and in our communities, and in this nation, and in this world. And we want to see the, the, uh, the values of the kingdom of God, righteousness, justice, peace, joy, love. We want to see those lived out everywhere by everyone starting with us, but not staying with us. That's the kind of kingdom Jesus brings. This is not the kind of kingdom that everyone in Jesus' day wanted him to bring. A lot of people were really hoping for the geographical, political kind of kingdom. They wanted to be saved from their enemies not just from their sins. They wanted to be saved from oppressive tax policies, not just from their sins. In fact, you could argue that the reason Jesus was killed is because the Jewish and Roman authorities misunderstood the nature of the kingdom Jesus was bringing. And throughout history and even today, people have continued to misunderstand the kind of kingdom Jesus brings. People have wanted it to be a different kind of kingdom. They've wanted it to be the kind of kingdom that can be imposed by force, by military force or political force. They've wanted it to be the kind of kingdom that could be contained in a particular nation. I think today people show their misunderstanding the nature of God's kingdom when they say that its advance hinges on a certain person being elected president of the United States, or it hinges on a certain person not being elected president of the United States. I heard that said explicitly in the past two presidential elections. That is such a truncated view of God's kingdom. It misses out on so much. It's such a shallow understanding. It's good for us to remember it's not that kind of kingdom. Over the next 11 months, as we ramp up to elect a president, as we hear heated rhetoric from well-meaning believers and Christian leaders who want to get us to vote a certain way, listen, the kingdom of God affects all of our lives. That means it affects our politics. It must affect our politics But our politics do not bring about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not entered by voting and campaigning, but by repenting and believing. This is the kind of kingdom that we get to be a part of. It's not the kind of kingdom that everybody thinks they want, but this is the kind of kingdom that we need. We are settling for a far inferior kingdom if we understand it only through the lens of 21st century American politics. You know, we're missing out on all that God has done throughout history and all that he's doing around the world to advance and build his kingdom. We don't have to settle for passing laws that attempt to coerce people's behavior. We proclaim proclaim a savior who changes hearts. And, and, And we don't have to merely figure out policies to try to mitigate the destructive effects of sin without ever addressing the root, we proclaim a king who saves us 
from our sins. In the verses we're looking at today, Joseph heard a lot that he didn't think he wanted to hear. There's a lot of what happened with his courtship and Mary being pregnant that was not what he thought he wanted. But when the angel made clear to him what was going on, Joseph had a choice to make. Was he going to accept this or not? And Joseph chose to accept it. It says he took Mary into his home as his wife. We have a choice to make as we hear this morning about Jesus the King and the kind of kingdom that he brings. Will we accept it or not? Some of us may need to make that decision for the first time today. Maybe you're here, maybe you're listening, and you've never repented and believed. You've never asked God to forgive you of your sins. But you know the futility of other approaches. And you're ready to say a decisive yes to Jesus. Today is your day to say that yes. Others of us maybe have said that yes, but we need to say it again today, or we need to reaffirm it in some specific ways. Maybe you've noticed self-sufficiency creeping into your life, and you need to realign to the surprising and subversive uh, kingdom that includes unlikely characters as a part of the story. This kingdom that says God doesn't save those who feel qualified, but when you recognize how disqualified you are of deserving salvation, that's when you're positioned for God's grace. Some of us may need to affirm that God works supernaturally today and that we want him to work that way in and through our lives. We're ready to embrace the mysteries and the tensions that come with that and to move forward in faith and obedience. Or maybe you just need to repent and believe in the kingdom that Jesus brought and to lay aside any inferior kingdoms that you've been holding on to, any distorted views of his kingdom that have distracted you, and say, no, it's, it's a spiritual reality that starts in my heart and then grows from there. I want to give you a moment this morning to, to say whatever yeses you need to say to God. I'm going to invite you just to bow your heads just to create a moment where you can be with the Lord. I'll invite our worship team to come back to lead us again in worship as part of our response. But just going to give you a moment in quiet to say whatever you need to say to God. Listen to Him speak and respond to Him right now. Jesus, we do acknowledge You as King today. We've sung that. We've focused on that. But again, we say yes to You, and that means saying yes to the kingdom that You bring we confess that it is the kingdom that we need, even if there's things about it that are different than we might have expected or, or thought we wanted. Uh, we just say yes, Lord. Say yes to you. Lord, I pray that we as a church would stay clear-eyed and clear-minded on you as King Jesus and the kingdom that you've brought, that it would show up in what we do and how we do and why we do what we do pray that we would present an accurate vision of your kingdom to the people around us. Thank you, Lord, that your kingdom is seen through the consistent witness of ordinary folks, not through the extraordinary witness of super special people, but the consistent witness of ordinary people like us can show there's a better way, there's a better kingdom. May that be what happens in us individually and for us corporately as Chaplain Lapines. We pray, Lord, for the help we need from your spirit to do all this, your grace and power in our lives. Uh, may it be, Lord, we pray. In your name, amen.
Chapel family, I bless you this morning with the goodness of God in your life. I bless you with an experience of God's goodness in the ways that you need to experience His goodness today and in this season. I bless you with the goodness of God if this is a season where you face a lot of difficulty and hard, sad emotions. I bless you with the goodness of God as a foundation of your life, even this holiday season. And I bless you not only with an experience of God's goodness, but with the reality that you have made good in Jesus. You have been given His righteousness, His holiness, His goodness. And so may you live in the goodness of God as you go into this week. May the goodness of God be evident in your lives as you're around co-workers and friends and neighbors and family in the days and weeks ahead. I bless you with the goodness of God, Chapel family. We are blessed as we go from this place. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.